Hebrews chapter 11 in your Bible. It's been a really comforting passage of Scripture for me personally. Hebrews chapter 11. I've come back to this passage a number of times uh, just in the last few months. Of course, we understand Hebrews chapter 11 is the great faith chapter in the Bible. Living by faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. It's Hebrews chapter 11 that helps us to understand that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. That means we believe that God exists. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God exists and God is involved. He cares. He's involved in our life. Uh, he will reward those that seek him uh, by faith. And so God wants us to live by faith. He wants us to be people of faith. Uh, that's why we call the body of truth that we subscribe to. We call it the faith. The faith. Because we're supposed to live by principles. Live by realities that we can't see. That's what the faith life is. And uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is the, the most definitive passage in all the Bible to help us to understand what faith is. And how it, how it looks in people's lives. So in verses 1 through 3, we have a, a working definition of faith. And then in verses 4 and following, we see how that working definition of faith plays out in real people's lives. Real people like you and real people like me. Uh, people have been living by faith since uh, there has been humanity. People have been living by faith. The Bible says in verse 1, of Hebrews chapter 11, faith, now faith, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. It's what they were praised for. It's what was spoken well about them. Not what they had, but how they lived by faith. Verse 3, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. How do we know that God created the world? By faith. Nobody was there to see it. Nobody was there to experience it. We can't submit it to science. By the way, neither can the evolutionist. And so we believe by faith what the Word of God said. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. For by it, the, uh, rather through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So that things which are seen, and we can see the trees and the mountains. We can see the rivers and the forest and the seas. So, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And then verse 4, by faith Abel. And then verse 5, by faith Enoch. Verse 6, a statement about faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. Verse 11, through faith also, Sarah. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac. 21, by faith, Jacob. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph. Verse 23, by faith, Moses. And several verses about Moses. 
Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down all the people of that day. By faith the harlot Rahab. And then look at verse 32. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel of the prophets who through faith, and it goes on to talk about all of these unnamed people of faith. And that you and I in some part are in that chapter. Why? Because we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we're supposed to live by faith. Matter of fact, the letter, the book of Hebrews is a letter that's helping people to understand that God expects for us to live by faith. At the end of chapter 10, uh, the writer, I believe the Apostle Paul, gives warnings and says, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man turn back, in other words, there are grave consequences to people that don't live their life by faith. Not, not that we can lose our salvation. We understand that nobody can lose his salvation. But you know, it's a wasted life. It's, a, it's not a well-lived life. A life not lived by faith. It's the faith life that God blesses. And it's tough for us Americans. It's tough for us who by world's standards are rich and increased with goods. It's tough for us to live by faith. I want you to ask yourself a question tonight. Do you live by faith? Do I live by faith? I think in many respects, we, we don't live by faith. And yet God wants us to live by faith. He wants us to trust Him. And so when God puts us in situations that cause us to trust Him more, that he's doing good to us. Because without faith, we can't please him. And without faith, we can't receive that reward. And so God oftentimes will put us in situations where we have to exercise faith. I'm gonna talk tonight for a little while on that topic, living by faith. Our Father, would you bless the message? Help us to see particularly in the life of Abraham what it means to live by faith. Father, I pray that you would give us tonight truth that will guide us and change us and cause us to live in a way that would please you. And so, Father, bless the message tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me make some observations about faith just in verses 1 through 3 and I think also verse 6 because these are the verses that help us to understand faith. And then I'll talk about one example of faith. We could talk about many of these people in the Bible, but let's just talk about one, uh, the one that's meant the most to me uh, in this period of time in my life. But let me give you six observations about faith, and then we'll talk about one man of faith. First of all, when I think about faith, when the Bible talks about faith, the Bible's talking about uh, faith being something that's focused on a future expectation. Faith involves a future expectation. Faith is something that we're looking toward. Faith is something we're waiting for. Faith encompasses something that we believe will be. Something that will be seen. It's a future expectation. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So faith in our life involves things that we believe one day. I believe in God. One day I will see Him. I believe that there's a heaven. One day I will be there. I believe that one day I will have a glorified body. One day I will inhabit it. 
I, I believe that one day all tears would be wiped from people's eyes. One day I will be there when that happens, okay? Faith becomes sight. So faith involves a future expectation. How, how do I live now in light of what I believe will be reality in the future? It's a future expectation. Number two, faith is presently unseen. Faith is presently unseen. It's the substance of things hoped for, but it's the evidence of things that we can't see yet. It's unseen. Faith is unseen. If you can see it, uh, oftentimes our prayers encompass wanting to see something. Lord, I want to see a good report uh, on my test results. I want to see the restoration of this relationship. I want to, uh, so often in life, we want to see things now, but faith is a matter of uh, trusting what we cannot see. And so faith, faith is a future expectation. Faith involves that which is presently unseen. Faith involves incomplete information. Faith is my willingness to act upon what I know now. Faith is not having all of the information now. Faith is having enough information to act upon something now. As you study the faith chapter, you'll find that people were not given complete information. They were given enough information to make their next decision. They were given enough information to act, to do something about what God had told them. And so faith does not involve complete information. Faith is not a matter of God telling you how everything's going to work out, how everything's going to connect, how everything's going to interconnect, and then make decisions. No, faith is a matter of, okay, step into that water. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. Just step in. Go toward that river. Go to the bank of that sea. Give me your lunch. I'm not going to tell you how it's going to work out. Walk around the city. It doesn't always, faith doesn't always know how it's going to work out, but faith always has enough information to take the next step. It's a matter of incomplete information. Observation number four, faith always involves the Word of God. Faith always has an object. The object of faith is always God. The means by which God communicates is always His Word. Faith always involves the Word of God. Our faith is not in, hey, well, I just hope it works out or better days are coming or, no, faith is always a matter of God telling us now what will happen in the future. So our faith is not in the event. Our faith is in the promise. Our faith is in the God who made the promise. So faith always involves the Word of God. That's why we make much of the Word of God. Because it's the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, right? And hearing by the Word of God. Increase your relationship with God through His Word. You increase your capacity to trust Him. To know Him is to trust Him. To trust Him is to believe what He tells you. And to know Him is to trust Him. To trust Him is to believe everything He tells you. And so we develop that relationship with God through His Word. Faith always involves the Word of God. Always. Always involves the Word of God. Abel, offer this sacrifice. Noah, build this boat. Abram, leave this country. It always involves God telling people something. God's Word coming to bear upon people's lives. And so faith is always, it's not blind. Faith is not you doing what you want to do and saying, well, you know, I have confidence it's going to work out. Now it's not faith in 
uh, the uh, good fortune. It's not faith in positive thinking. It's not faith in optimistic attitude. It's faith in the unchanging, infallible promises of God. And so faith always involves the Word of God. It's the repository for our faith. And so faith involves a future expectation. Faith is presently unseen. Faith involves incomplete information, but enough to act upon. And what we act upon is the Word of God, because faith always involves our relationship with God and His Word. That's why the Bible says, He that cometh to God. Faith is not a means by which you can accomplish, well, you know, by faith we're going to build this church, or by faith we're going to, no, Faith's object is always God, a relationship with God. God gives us things to do that we might trust Him more and develop a deeper relationship with Him. But the end of faith is not what we do. The end of faith is not what we accomplish. The end of faith is not being healed. Or the end of faith is being closer to God, having a deeper, more abiding relationship with Him. Because faith is a means by which we come to God. It's not a means by which we use God to get things done. Does that make sense? Faith is a matter of relationship. It's not a utilitarian thing whereby we're using God for our own end. It's a means by which we come to God. He that cometh to God. We believe that God is. We believe that he rewards those that seek him. Faith always has as its object him, a relationship with him. It's always about him, faith. And so it's a future expectation. It's presently unseen. It involves incomplete information, but enough for us to act upon now, whereby we get to know Him better, trust Him more, follow Him more fastidiously. Faith always involves a reward. You read through the passage in Hebrews chapter 11, faith always involves a reward. God always rewards faith. Not maybe not now, maybe not tomorrow. Hey, listen. Maybe not in this lifetime, but God's promise is I will always reward faith. That's part of the definition. He is a rewarder of them. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And sometimes there's a temporary reward, like you get to live and not drown. Sometimes there's a temporary reward, like you obtain a good report. But there's also a permanent reward, a, build, a city whose builder and maker is God. There's an eternal, uh, unfailing, infallible reward to faith. And so faith always involves a reward. And then I'll say lastly, as I observe th this definition of faith, and this is not exhaustive, but as I observe the definition of faith, I think faith also is, uh, is, is typically contrasted with, its, with, with the alternative. And what I mean by that is, okay, you can live the faith life or you can waste your life. Or you can live in destruction. Or you can live in disillusionment. So faith has a contrast, whether it be in the life of Abel, contrasted with Cain. Or Noah, contrasted with the world that perished. Or Abram, contrasted with Lot. Or Moses, contrasted with the pleasures of sin in Egypt. There's always a contrast to faith. Choose this, this life, or this life. Choose this motivation or this motivation. But there's a contrast, faith or sight. The well-watered plains are what God will give you. So there's a contrast. Faith always involves a contrast. Uh, two choices. The faith life or the sight life. It's your choice. And God gives us incentive to live by faith. So those are my observations. Now let's go back to our text. Verse 8. 
what I want to do is I want to work our way from verse 8 through verse 19. Because from verses 8 through 19, with a, a general parenthetical right in the middle, we find the story of Abraham. Nobody has talked about more. No Old Testament characters referenced more than Abraham in the New Testament. Now Luke talked about him all the time, both in the book of Luke and all throughout the book of Acts. Paul referenced him all the time in the book of Romans. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Uh, Paul talks about Abraham in Romans chapter 4. And uh, Peter talks about him in 1 Peter chapter 3. The writer of Hebrews, I believe the Apostle Paul, talks about Abraham here uh, by faith. That this father of faith, this man of faith, he talked about him in Galatians chapter 3. And now here in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And he gives the longest section of the faith chapter, he gives the longest section to Abraham. There's something about this man. There's something about Abraham that you and I need to learn if we're going to live by faith. All right, let me give you five statements tonight that I believe will help us to understand and to live by faith. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he, which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, now watch this, not knowing whether he went. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. That's Genesis chapter 12. That's Abram living in the early counties. That's Abram, well off. That's Abram, well into life. Has no children, but has a wife. He has a family. He has a father. He has brothers. He has people. He has a language. He has a home. He has a permanent dwelling place. And God just comes to him one day and says, I want you to get thee out from your land, from your kindred, and I want you to go to a place that I will show thee of. In other words, start walking and I'll tell you when to stop. Head that direction and I'm going to tell you uh, when you get to the place that I've given to you. Now I've given you a place. That's my promise. That's the reality. That's the unseen part. That's the future expectation part. That's my word part. You're going to have to trust me. I'll go there. But right now, I'm not going to tell you all that stuff. I'm going to give you enough information to go on. I'm not going to give you complete information. Because I want you to trust me. I want you to know me. I want you to come to me. I'm going to meet you there. Now, Abraham, I'm going to give you enough information. You need to go. That's all you need to know right now. And when it's time to stop, I'll tell you when to stop. And when you stop, I'll tell you what to do. But I'm not going to tell you all that stuff right now. Right now, I'm just telling you, go to a place that I will show you of. Wow. What a statement that God gave to Abram. Faith, here's my first statement. Faith is willing to let go of anything. Casey sang that great song this morning. One of my favorite new songs that I hear. Let go my soul and trust in him. Faith is willing to let go of anything. What are you holding on to? I'm not saying that to live by faith, you've got to move. I'm not saying to live by faith, you've got to go to another place. I'm not saying to live by faith that you have to sell all your stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I don't think that that necessarily means that some person has greater faith than another person. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is, what are we willing? What are we willing to let go of? What do you have to have? What, what are you unwilling to let go of? 
Hey, Jesus always came back to that as a metric for discipleship. He always did. He always came back and said, if any man will come after me, you got to let go. Let go of yourself. Deny yourself. You've got to, if any man will come after me and hate not father and mother and wife and children and brethren, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, there can be no relationship in your life that trumps your relationship with me. Are you willing to let go of any relationship? Are you willing to let go of, any, uh, of, any, uh, of all of your stuff? Are you willing to let, let go of what you know? Let go of your language. Let go of your place. Are you willing to let go? Faith is willing to let go. Every missionary knows what that means. Willing to let go. Sometimes God says, I want you to leave your stuff. Sometimes God takes you away from your stuff. Sometimes God takes your stuff away from you. In both instances, he just wants you to live by faith. Sometimes God takes people uh, away from their job. Sometimes people takes the job away from them. Sometimes people tell people to leave their stuff. Sometimes God takes their stuff away from them. And Job uh, knew what living by faith was just as much as Abram did, but Job never left. But God took everything away from Job. Abram left everything. God took Job's everything. But in both cases, you had great men of faith who lived at about the same patriarchal time. God has different ways and different means, but the principle is the same. He wants to get us to the place in our life where we're willing, willing, hold loosely the things of this world. Hold loosely. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to stay. I'm ready to do your will, God. Whatever, anything, anything you want, anywhere you want, God, I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willing. When's the last time you told God, I'm willing? Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. What a song, what a poem. And it's so true. Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, tell me, what do you think? Well, for my youth, I've done all this. I've kept all the commandments. I've done everything. Okay, I've got one more thing for you. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. Oh, that's too much. See, Jesus knew in his heart of hearts, I'm not willing to live by faith. I'm not willing to trust you. I'm not willing to let go. What does Jesus know about me? So often I just grip so tightly. What does he know about you? Faith is willing to let go, to let go of anything. Go to Nineveh. No. No, I won't. I'll go anywhere else. I'll preach any other message. And for 20 years, Jonah had faithfully preached the word of God. Go to Nineveh. I'll go anywhere but there. And one of the greatest examples of disobedience in the Bible is Jonah, who was a faithful prophet. Jonah, who had been preaching for years. Jonah, who loved God. Jonah, who was jealous for the people of God. Jonah, one of the greatest examples of disobedience in the Bible because he just wouldn't let go of his own pride to say, I'll go to God's enemy and I'll preach to them if that's what God wants. What are you holding on to? Faith is willing to let go. Number two, look at verse nine. So in verse eight, by faith, Abram, when he was called to go into a place which he should hereafter receive for an inheritance, he obeyed. He went out not knowing whether he went, knowing just enough to go. Verse nine, by faith, he sojourned. He lived that temporary nomadic life. 
By faith he sojourned in the land of promise. We would say today the promised land. He sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. Dwelling in tabernacles. That sounds cool. Until you realize the tabernacle is a tent. And tents are great when you go camping. The tents aren't great when you live there permanently. The Bible says he lived in tabernacles. This is Rich Abram. This is Mr. Have It Made in Ur of the Chaldees. This is the one that God has called to go to a land that I will show thee of. And when he gets to that land, God says, okay, stay here for a while. And by the way, you know what a while meant? Till he died. You know what a while meant? He never did get a house. He always lived in a tent. He never did own property. He had one little parcel of ground that he bought for Sarah so he could bury her. And that's it. All of it belonged to him, but his name was on no title deed. Other people lived there. Other people had walled cities there. Other people had houses there. He had a tent. All he had was a promise. All he had was God's verbal promise. Abram, this is yours. No one else said it was his. No legal document said it was his. The Canaanites didn't uh, say when he came, oh, here's Abram. Oh, Abram, this is all yours. Here are the keys. No, all he had was a promise. That's why we call it the land of promise. The promised land. And we love that terminology. The promised land. You know how, how often that term promised land is used in the Bible? Once. We love to talk about the promised land. Now, how often that terms right here. This is it. This is the only time in the Bible land of promise is used right here. The land of promise. In other words, how do we know it was Abram's land? Because God said so. That's all he had to go on. There was no other evidence. There was no other, there was no notary public that had, uh, uh, that had uh, uh, accounted for it. There was no title deed. There was nobody else that attested to it. It was only that God said it. Is the fact that God said it enough? Is the fact that God said it, is that enough for you to go on? Abraham, he let go by faith. Are you willing to let go of anything? But how about this, number two? Faith lives in a land of promise. That's where faith lives. Faith lives on the promises of God. It's one, it's one thing to, to, to do something radical by faith. It's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to sell everything I have. We're going to move, okay? All right, you know, that's, that's big and that's exciting and that's an event, okay? But now live in a tent for the rest of your life. Oh. It's big and exciting to pack a truck. It's big and exciting to load the camel. It's big and exciting to go. Where are we going? I don't know, but this is exciting. And we're going to find a place where we're going to live and God's going to give us a land and then we finally get there and God says, okay, stop here. Okay, all right. Instead of a tent. And live in a tent for the rest of your life. See, it's one thing to go by faith. It's another thing to live by faith. And erosion will do what explosion will never do in our lives. Sometimes we feel like, man, is, is this it? Is this the Christian life? Just getting up every day and just trying to live for God in my little corner of the world. And isn't there something big? Isn't there something exciting? What's next? But the life of faith oftentimes is a mundane life. 
a day after week after month after year of just trusting that God is still there, that God still has a plan, that God still holds eternity, that God's promises have not failed, that God's promises are still true. That's the life of faith. I just read a book not long ago by Amy Carmichael, one of the greatest missionaries, little Irish girl. They read about the plight of these little girls in India who are so abused in the temple ritual services in India in unspeakable ways I can't even talk about in a mixed audience. And Amy Carmichael said, I want to go and make a difference. That's exciting. I'm going to go to India and make a difference. These little brown-skinned girls, and I'm going to go as, a, as an Irish lass into India and make a difference in the lives of these young girls. And she wrote a book years later called Missions, The Things As They Are. She said, if all you hear about are big, grandiose stories about how this circumstance led into this event that led into this miraculous conversion, she said, that's not the way it is. She said, you want to understand what missions is? It's mundane. It's hard. It's day after day after day. Hey, the faith life. Faith is willing to live in the land of promise. Not a land of I own it. Not a land of look at my new house. Not a land of, boy, look at how it's all working out. Not a land of, but a land of promise. God, I still trust you. I still can't see it yet. I still have future expectation. I still don't have complete information. I'm still trusting what you told me. It's a land of promise. For faith is willing to let go of anything. Faith lives in a land of promise. Number three, look at verse 10. This is what he was looking for. In verse 9, he sojourned, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. In other words, uh, they also dwelt in tents. Three generations lived in tents. The heirs with him of the same promise. Look at verse 10. For he looked, here's what kept Abram going. Here's where Abram's focus was. For he looked for a city. What kind of city was he looking for? What, what promise did he believe of God? What was it upon which Abram's mind was affixed? The Bible says, for he looked for a city which hath foundations. Not a human city that has no foundation. And really, human foundations will all erode. You can look at any landmark from yesteryear. They all erode without human intervention. All, even the pyramids of Egypt one day will erode away. And indeed, they already have. Why? Because human foundations will always erode. And Abram was not looking for human foundations. The Bible says he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder, the word builder here means architect and maker. That means the one that actually puts the building together. And so the architect and the builder, the architect and the, construct and the constructor, whose builder and maker is God. That's what I want. I don't want what I can do. I don't want what I can build. I don't want what I can manufacture. I don't want what I can accrue, what I can amass. I want what God can do. I want what God can make. I want what God can build. Why? Because when God does something, he does forever things. And when I do something, it all passes away. When I get stuff, it all, uh, it all goes away. But boy, when God does stuff, it's forever. And Abram, he kept his mind and heart, he kept his faith in God. 
My third statement is faith trusts that God can do better than I can do. Faith trusts that God can do better than I can do. I'm not looking for what I can do. I'm not looking for what I can recreate. I'm not looking for what I can build. I'm, looking, I'm not looking for what I can manipulate. I'm not looking for what I can extract. I'm looking for what God can do. I'm looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This is a theme in Hebrews. It's a theme. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, but now they, talking about all the people of faith, all the people of faith, they, they desire a better country. This was, uh, this was Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abram and Isaac and, and, uh, and Jacob and, 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 and Moses and all the rest of them. They desire a better country that is and heavenly. Wherefore God's not ashamed to be called their God for he hath prepared, he hath already prepared, it's already done. He hath prepared for them a city. That's what Jesus said to his own disciples. I go to prepare a place for you. Listen, there is something that's real. There's the forever place and people of faith, they're concerned with the forever place. Notice what the Bible says in chapter 12. Go over one chapter. Chapter 12 and verse 22 where the writer says, ye are come unto Mount Zion unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, to the judge, the God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Listen, what God is telling the people of Hebrews is, listen, you got something better than anything this world can offer. You have a God that's built you a heavenly city. You have a God that has prepared for you heavenly rewards. Keep your mind on that. That's the faith life. Look at chapter 13, the last chapter. Chapter 13 and verse 14. Where the Bible says, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. What's the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying, listen, just like Abraham was looking for some, a city he de- never saw until his eyes closed in death. And just like Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Abel and Enoch and all the rest of them were looking for that city, all of them. They never saw it, but they always looked for it. Why? Because faith is a future expectation and faith is what we can't see. And, and faith is incomplete information. And faith is, is, is in the Word of God and the person of God. And, and uh, faith is always rewarded. And there is a place and it is real. And Abram was realizing and trusting that God can do better than I can do. I'm just going to keep looking for what he's going to do. Number four. Look back at Hebrews chapter 11. Two more real quickly. Look at verse 11. I love this because his wife is involved. Verse 11, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. Remember, Abram was 99 years of age. Sarah was 89 years of age, well past childbearing years. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And she got in on it. She believed too. She trusted God too. She couldn't see it. There's no way she could look at her own physical body. There's no way she could think about the biology of it and think about it. But she trusted that God was faithful. God, if you said it, I'm going to believe it. 
And you might be thinking, but that's not what Sarah did. That's not how Sarah responded. Did Sarah respond that way? Well, the Bible says she did. So how do you reconcile Hebrews chapter 11 with Genesis chapter 18? Because when I read in Genesis 18, when the messengers came and told Abram, you're going to have a child, Sarah laughed. She laughed. Am I going to have a child? That's, that's ludicrous. It's ridiculous. And yet the Bible says she's a woman of faith who judged God faithful in his promise. What's the principle? Here's the principle. Faith is often muddied by doubt. That doesn't mean that your faith is not real. Do you ever have doubts? I do. Do you ever have doubts that enter your mind and bang around? I do. Do you ever question what God's doing in your life? I do. Faith is often muddied by doubt. There are at least three separate times when Abram and Sarah were complicit in doubt. Ho, ho, there's famine in the land. Let's go to Egypt. Oh, let's, let's lie because you're a good-looking woman, Sarah. And, and Pharaoh, he's going to like you. And, and uh, just say that you're my sister. And okay, I will. Didn't sound like people of faith to me. By the way, they didn't do that once. They did it twice. Oh, well, we're never going to have a child. God said we're going to have a child. We're never going to have a child. Why don't you just uh, have a child with my handmaid, Hagar? That was Sarah's idea. And everyone's like, okay. They were complicit in a lie. They were complicit in the liaison with Hagar. And then in chapter 18, Sarah laughed. But would it surprise you if I told you in chapter 17 of Genesis, Abram was the first one to laugh? We always talk about Sarah laughing. She laughed at God. How dare you laugh at God? God gave a promise. Yeah, but Abram was the first one to laugh. Well, God told Abram before that time in chapter 18, God had already told Abram in chapter 17, you're going to have a son. And the Bible says that Abram laughed at his heart. And so three times, Abram and Sarah, these great people of faith, the hall of fame of faith, they were complicit in a lie because they didn't have faith. They were complicit in a liaison with Hagar. We would call it today an adulterous affair. It wasn't exactly that, but I mean, it wasn't good. And they were complicit. Why? A lack of faith. They laughed. Why? A lack of faith. Yet here they are as great champions of faith. You know, God knows who you are. God knows what struggles you have. God knows the doubts that fly around in your mind. And sometimes those doubts just cause you to solidify your faith. Lord, I believe, I do. Help thou mine unbelief. I've prayed that prayer a thousand times. Lord, I know what you told me to do, but Lord, Lord, what in the world? Help my unbelief. Faith is often muddied by doubt. All right, principle number five. Look, please, if you would, at verse 12. Therefore sprang there even of one, that's Abram, and him as good as dead, 99, one old, almost dead guy, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand, which is by the seashore innumerable. There are millions of people that have come out of Abraham's loins. These all died in faith, these people of faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. 
For they that seek such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, watch this, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they had come out, that once they came out, they might not, they might have had opportunity to have returned. In other words, they kept their mind focused on the future. They kept their mind focused on the promise. Because if you stop and think about, well, here's what we did have. Well, I could go back to Ur of the Chaldees. I could go back to Haran. I could go back to my house. I mean, after all, this is not what I expected. But they never had an exit strategy. They never thought about going back. They never, had, they never thought about going back to where they were. They didn't think about that. When those temptations came to doubt and to go back where they came from, they got it out of their mind and looked forward. Look at verse 16. For they desire a better country, that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. What a statement. I wonder if God's ashamed to call me that I call him God. God's not ashamed to call them God because they trust him. They believe in him. For he hath prepared for them a city. Now look at the last one, verse 17. By faith, Abram when he was tried. Because after all of this, God still tested his faith. Really? I mean, what, what more does God need to know? He left his house. He left his land. He left his kindred. He left his stuff. He's living in a tent. He trusted God to have a child. When he was beyond childbearing years. And still and still and still faith is tested. Yeah, because the only thing that matters to God is your faith. That's the only thing that matters to God. That's the only thing that matters. Is your faith relationship with him. That's all that matters. So God tests it again. Look at verse 17. By faith Abraham... When he was tried, tested, offered up Isaac. That was the test. Give me now thy son, thine only son. Sacrifice him to me. We know the story. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. What a picture of what God actually did for you and me. He that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Interestingly, when the Bible says he offered up Isaac earlier in the verse, that's in the perfect tense. It's, good, it's as good as done. When, Ab when Abram decided to take Isaac and go up that hill, it was as good as done in Abram's mind. I'm doing this. And God knew his heart. God knew that in his mind, in his heart, in his will, Abram did it. God knows what's in your heart, mind, and will. And so in the perfect tense, he offered him. But then when it talks about what he actually did, that's the imperfect tense. He didn't actually do it. In his heart, he actually did it. In his heart, he actually obeyed God by giving God his son. But in actuality, God didn't let him do it. God didn't want him to kill his son. Look at verse 18. Of whom it was called, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. I want you to give me the only son that can possibly, humanly speaking, fulfill the promise I've given you. This makes no sense. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son when you're old. And through that son, there's going to be millions of people. That son doesn't have a wife yet. I want you to kill that son. Well, God, I thought that was the whole promise. I thought, I thought all of my promises were wrapped up in Isaac. 
everything you've told me is wrapped up in what you've given me. Everything you've ever promised me is wrapped up in this son. And now you're telling me to give you that son. Yeah, the God that wrapped all the promises in the son can take care of that son. And so he says, give me that son. Give me all, because I don't want your faith to be in your son. I want your faith to still be in me. So what does Abram do? He marches up the hill. He puts Isaac on that altar. And what was Abram's rationale? Look at verse 19. He accounted that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Here's what Abram thought. Well, God wants me to kill him. So if all the promises are wrapped up in him, then the God that took him is the God that can give him back. I think, humanly speaking, the only way I can figure this situation out is God's going God's to have me sacrifice my son and God's going to raise him from the dead. That's the only thing I can figure out. By the way, he was wrong. Because the way you try to figure out what God is doing, sometimes it's not right. Sometimes you think you have figured out why God is doing something. Sometimes you think you have figured out the only possible solution as to why God would tell you to do something. But let me tell you something. You don't have it figured out. Neither do I. And so Abram thought, and I thought it's about the best thought I could have. Well, I guess he's going to raise him from the dead. He never thought that God might tell him last minute, don't do it. He never thought that God last minute might say, here's a lamb to sacrifice instead. He didn't know what God was going to do. He just knew that I've got to obey the incomplete information I have. And that I've got to trust the future expectation that God might raise him from the dead. And I can't see this yet, but I know that God rewards faith. And so I'm going to trust his word because he wants me to come to him and draw out of him. And without faith, I can't please him. So God, I hope you're happy because, Lord, I'm trying to do this for you. And Lord, you must have a plan I don't understand. Look at verse 19, from once also he received him in a figure. In other words, God was using the whole thing as an illustration of a much greater son that would be sacrificed, that would die and would rise from the dead. And of course, that's Jesus Christ. Say, Pastor Skelly, what, what's the principle? The principle is this, final statement about faith. Faith submits logic to obedience. Faith submits logic to obedience. This doesn't make any sense. Why are you doing this? Pastor Skelly, why would you leave our church? You want me to give you a reason? Because God told me to. And honestly... I can give you no other logical reason. It doesn't make sense. It makes no sense. But I've got to do what God told me to do. Pastor Skelly, you're going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> Pastor Skelly, you're bipolar. Pastor Skelly, you must be disappointed. Pastor Skelly, you've got a better offer. And a million other reasons that people have supplied. All I know is God took me on a journey through his word. And I know that I'm doing what God wants me to do.
That's all I can tell you. It doesn't make sense. But faith submits logic to obedience. It's a future expectation. I can't see it. God, you told me, so I'm going to trust you. You've only given me enough information to make the next step. You're taking me systematically through a series of no's that I might know what that yes is. And for now, I'm just going to walk in this direction until you stop me and show me. And honestly, that's where we all are. Whether we're moving geographically, whether we're moving spiritually, wherever we are, we're all supposed to live by faith.